Hey folks, Brian again. Thanks for welcoming me once again into your ear holes. On this installment, I had the great pleasure of speaking with Ulysses Youngblood, the president of Major Bloom, who built a dispensary from the ground up in Worcester. We discussed synchronicity and how the universe is connected. We touched on his early experiences with cannabis, which revolved around family, as well as his business and emotional ties to a city where he once got beat up by cops. We talked about Major Bloom's leading retail efforts and how bigger players have been taking notice and trying to catch up. He also confided in me that it's hard to raise young kids as an energetic cannabis entrepreneur when those kids aren't allowed inside your place of work to share in your progress. This was an absolute pleasure of a chat, and I hope you enjoy. Wow, that's really candid. about the first time you experienced cannabis tell me that story man that is a great question that to me is, is just represents synchronicity in life because to be honest with you i don't remember my first experience with cannabis i remember the people that introduced me to cannabis so i have three older sisters i have an older cousin who's no longer with us anymore and just understanding the culture and how it was important for them you know, I was probably around the age of 13, so, you know, asking questions, what's that look like, or what's it look like, or what's that smell, and then, you know, pretty much experiencing myself and trying to roll. I remember, like, crushing up leaves and trying to roll in the paper just to get experience before actually using the real thing. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it's just, you know, basically being a, a younger sibling or a younger cousin and uh, getting that experience as a, as a teenager, and then, you know, basically indulging myself when I got felt like it was right with friends and that are closer in my age and you know just being bit by that bug man so just crazy to be here to be honest with you so from the very beginning your experience with the plant has been about family which I love my my first time was with my older sister in New York City and it it had the same kind of thing it was something that we probably weren't supposed to be doing it bonded us was it was it a similar thing for you did you continue partaking with family members you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. I mean, we would basically help each other get out of trouble because, you know, when you have an older sister coming in the house smelling like weed, by the time, you know, it came down to me, it's like, all right, mom and dad, we've been here before. <laughs> so shout out to mom and dad for any time they found the stash, they would always give it back rather than being like shocked. You know? And that's exactly it, though. It is family. Even to the point where, you know, the conversation with my mom and dad just knowing how serious of a career and, a, and a, a growing market and a conversation changer it is across the nation. I mean, you know, that, that to me extends beyond siblings and it opens the eyes to another generation. Were you a, were you a rebellious kid outside of, of cannabis? No, see, that's the thing, man. I, it, honestly, growing up well-received as an athlete, and I think that was one of the things that tipped it off for me is that, like, you can kind of have this idea in grade school or in high school that there's certain cliques, but I went to a big high school and it was such a, a, a meshing ground. You know what I mean? That like, you know, the athletes all smoke weed, like a majority of them. And I think that's no different than like the professional, professional athletes you hear that consume because it's usually after game night or after hard practice or lifting hard or a hard day of running. And it's a relaxation thing rather than an outlet for other, uh, for other, you know, I guess, I don't want to use substances, but I guess, drugs or whatever it may be but i think um you know as i got older and i still uh you know played uh sports at a collegiate level 
I realized that, um, you know, there are harder substances out there to help deal with ailments like pain and, you know, right after surgeries that, and then honestly, that was around the time that decriminalization happened and there's you know, more light to, to a growing market. So I, I guess, you know, being a, a child that grew up in you know, 02, 03, you know, high school years, 06, and then decriminalization happening in Massachusetts in 08, uh, you know, you, you kind of pay attention to things. That's why I say synchronicity, man. Like I, I never would have guessed it as a teenager. But, you know, as you get older, you start to realize these things happen for a reason. Taking a step back, where exactly did you grow up and where'd you go to where'd you go to college and where are you now? Yeah, man. So, so I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, I lived in Bridgeport for a while. I lived in Naugatuck, so southern, southern um, Connecticut. And then I went to Trumbull High School and it was such a great experience because, you know, it was a big, it was a big school, uh, not too far from New York City. So a lot of influence coming from New York, about 60 miles outside of New York. I have a sister that lives in Queens, grew up in Queens, a half-sister of mine. Well, actually, she's my oldest sister, and it's probably the one that kind of tipped my, my two younger sisters off and, you know, made me into the into the cannabis culture. Um, but, yeah, and then after high school, I ended up going to college in Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, where in 07, I got kicked out for marijuana-related activities. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I lived off campus for a while. I ended up getting arrested in the city of Worcester twice. I ended up getting my ass beat by the police. I called Worcester my second home, just kind of through initiation, a non-traditional initiation. Right. Um, and that's actually where, where the business is, the cannabis business is, um, where we opened up um, August of 2021. So, you know, it was a long, long journey of a lot of trips going back and forth between Southern Connecticut and Worcester. And I got really comfortable with that journey and that, that you know, going back and forth. Um, you know, even, even in relation to cannabis, man, like, you know, that, that ride is a, you know, two hour ride. And, you know, I'm just basically being able to, um, you know, kind of understand how things move and blister and how things move back home. It just made all the sense in the world uh, to open up shop in that city where, you know, again, I was initiated and originally got picked up. That's cool for, and that's what tipped me off to like motivate me behind this thing, man, is I, I didn't like how that all unfolded at social college, but I still, you know, stayed faithful and true. And, you know, here we are operating in Worcester. Was Worcester important to you because of your experience before that? And you mentioned you're, you're running with police. Um, I imagine that it's, it's kind of a feather in your cap that you're running a successful cannabis-based business there now. Understanding the importance of, of being local and being a resident. Um, you know, like I said, Worcester is my second home. Yeah. I'm from Bridgeport. Um, but I think since I've lived in Worcester for the last seven years and went to college there almost almost 20 years ago, it's like, or 15, 20 years ago, it's like I, I feel more grounded in going to City Hall and, you know, saying, hey, you want local businesses or do you want these multi-state operator conglomerates to basically achieve these profits and go back to the West Coast or go back to Canada? And I think that really gave me perspective and, and kept me grounded is that, you know, I bought a house in, in, in Worcester and, you know, my, my significant other has been a teacher in the city for 11 years. And I have two young boys growing up in the city where they can call that their, their home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of took off the business hat and put on the constituent hat and the, and the resident hat to, to get the business going. Is big business inherently bad? Can it be done well? Has it been done well? Mm. That's a great question. I don't think it's neither good or bad. I think it's understanding how we can work uh, in a homogeneous nature 
And to be honest with you, man, like it's tough to think about the backdoor deals and all the lobbying that these groups do. But I'll tell you, when it comes to operational, they tip their hat. Yeah. Um, you know, it's tough to say that these guys are so hell-bent on keeping the little guy out when I know how much help they've provided for us. You know, once we got operational, right? Like someone like me, again, family and friends, man, that's how this business was built. That's how yeah. Major Bloom was built. Even down to the funding, man, this kid I play college football with, you know, he's a successful entrepreneur himself. And he's like, bro, this industry is, is crazy. You know, I'm going to help you get this place built out. Granted, we accomplished the acquisition of licensing prior to him getting involved. And that's what gave him more faith in our project. And we did that on the strength of our own sweat equity, our own dollars. So there is some legwork that you have to do as a small business yourself and kind of reach certain goals before these guys are going to respect you, before these guys are going to lend their hand. Um, and I say this because there are a lot of multi-state operators that are sitting on a ton of weed, right? Yep. Because they have these large multi-million dollar grows. So for us who, uh, you know, we buy product in bulk, we make our own, we make our own product, we do our own labeling, we do our own packaging, we retail, we do delivery. So if we take out of cultivation out of the equation, and kind of leave that legwork to these multi-million dollar corporations. So they're willing to work with a smaller guy like us or a smaller company like us who are just getting our wings and, you know, just getting down to our operation, you know, six months into it, five months into it. Um, but a lot of them didn't kind of extend that help until we were able to, you know, get on our own feet. Um, but I will say on the other side of it, like I've heard of, you know, those bigger guys behind closed doors who are, you know, drafting up these, um, uh, you know, kind of, um, I guess, uh, trade associations and trying to repel or reduce the amount of smaller guys in the in the space or equity businesses or you know maybe even other multi-state operators. So it's just kind of it's just kind of tough, man. I you know I feel like we have to exist kind of one and the same because um, for someone like us, you know, cultivation is not in our wheelhouse until we start operating for a, a little while or right. can. To raise more capital to get to it so you know they, they they exist they exist like the budweiser's and the large the amheiser bush yep. you still see more craft breweries that exist you know what i mean and, and more that are coming online i actually worked at anheuser bush before getting into the cannabis space and you're right they obviously that company's a monster right you have distribution in every single outlet in the country virtually um and then you have regional craft brands that have absolutely raving fans and i think that's what we're moving towards is regional players that have absolutely diehard local fans i'm curious when when was the moment that you said all right i'm gonna enter the cannabis space as a professional wait what what did that look like when you made that decision i was probably 15. yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just i'm just kidding i'm just kidding it was probably uh, 2000, uh, 2016, actually. Uh, I had just finished business school. There's a few things that kind of was in my, my ear at the time of 2016. Um, I was in corporate sales for about seven years and had some success there, but I didn't feel fulfilled. So I always knew that I wanted to get back into entrepreneurship, but I didn't, I didn't really know what it was, uh, what, I, what it was I wanted to do. So I think in 2017, I want to say like January 1, 2017, I had read the medical regulations and was like, all right, I want to figure this out. You've built a vertically integrated operation 
um, probably without institutional funding that that some of your MSO competitors, frankly, they're their competitors, have access to, and you've you've built it uh, well. Um, how how did you do it? What did that journey look like? Sure, I appreciate that, man. Again, with the synchronicity, man. I told you I was in corporate sales for a while. I was helping out a buddy of mine. I worked in I worked in renewable energy, so I was selling solar systems and batteries. And I was helping out a buddy of mine who had started his own company. And I was doing some 1099 work for him. So I was meeting with some commercial accounts. And one of the first people I met was a Northeastern graduate. So that's where I went to business school. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing is, is that he was a pharmacist and he worked for CVS for a while. And he ended up uh, kind of switching careers a bit. Or not careers, but like I got career path. But he was a successful pharmacist. And he ended up doing real estate for... Um, for CBS. And then he was successful there and ended up doing his own real estate ventures. So he owned a bunch of hotels. He owned an arena here in Massachusetts, the oldest sports team here in Massachusetts. Wow. And I thought it was just so cool that one of the first people that I'd networked with outside of, uh, I, I guess, kind of like with this entrepreneurship track in my mind, was a Northeastern graduate and a successful entrepreneur. But furthermore, he was one of the first investors and in one of the first. Uh, uh, medical outfits in Massachusetts. So you talk about synchronicity. So this is me like in my mind saying, hey, I got to get in cannabis. I was kind of like one show in and then I met this dude who went to the same school as me and ended up investing in, you know, this cannabis spot and was just a successful entrepreneur just in general, not even just in cannabis. So I'm like, man, this is like, this is something else. So it's a long journey for licensing, man. So it was a solid, you know, probably like year and a half, two years of just trying to figure things out. I met my partner summer of 2017. Probably less than a year later, we ended up getting into the Economic Empowerment Program, which is the state's, um, part of the state's equity programming. So once we got into that program, we ended up getting our first community host agreement in the city of Attleboro. And that was a vertically integrated um, host agreement. Um, now we got, we went through trials and tribulations in that property where we didn't end up actually getting to operations or even getting the funding or raising the funds that we needed for that license. But in, in between time, we ended up getting another community host agreement in the city of Worcester, which, um, you know, I had a little bit more confidence in, partly because the uh, facility is about five minutes away from the houses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I basically had more um, you know, local resources. We signed that host agreement in 2019. And, um, you know, started build out summer of 2020. And, you know, a year later, we, we got open. So it was just, it's, it's a long journey, man. It's a long journey with a lot of faith and, you know, basically just uh, using local resources, man, and being confident to the project when it comes to fortune. You mentioned uh, social equity programs. Do you do you think Massachusetts is is doing a good job, and do you think any other market in the United States is doing a good job? See, that's the interesting question, man, because I don't think that any market is doing it right, doing it yeah. right across all, all categories, man. I mean, they all kind of have their own pieces where it makes sense. I, we commend the state for their effort in in you know being a being the first to have. Yeah, a, a, a full state program for equity. Hundred um, percent. There are still challenges, though, man. Like you know, there's a lot of challenges, man. I'll be honest with you. Like we never really heard from the state. It was like, all right, you're in this program, and go ahead and do what everybody else is doing. So we still had to raise, you know, over a million dollars just based on 
you know, this new program that the state rolled out. You know, in terms of who's doing it right, I can say that there are a lot of municipalities and a lot of counties around the uh, around the nation that kind of work this one-to-one model. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Connecticut is one of the states that has a one-to-one model that could uh, yield some success. I think the city of Boston, uh, they have a one-to-one model that is pretty um, – it, it's a slower rollout, but people are more confident in the abilities to – of the system working out. I, I look at uh, Oakland's another state, another uh, county that's, that's, that has that one-to-one model. So it's just these little pieces that kind of work together. How do you raise a million dollars from zero? Well, that's the thing. It, was, it wasn't zero. Um, you know, I, I ended up putting in a lot of my own funds. So I was the first investor. Um, and from there, um, you know, it helped to kind of acquire and build traction, like with the host agreements from the local municipalities the economic empowerment status from the state mm-hmm. and then ultimately acquiring a couple of licenses before we actually raise a good amount of capital. I say you got to, you got to be able to uh, put your own skin in the game by putting putting up your own funds. And I, I mean that in the nicest way possible. And I don't mean like go crazy, but like I, I maxed out my credit card because yeah. I had that much faith. And I mean, I, I pretty much drained my savings because I had faith in the project. And, you know, I was, I had to be the first to do it in order to, you know, be able to talk with friends and family or even private equity groups, venture capital groups, angel funding, shark funding. Like I had all these conversations, uh, institutional funding. You know, I went to banks, like before COVID, I would just show up to banks, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And be like, listen, you know what I mean? Just to shoot my shot. And, you know, uh, fortunately, none of those worked out and it, and it still ended up being, you know, friends, family and friends. Where did Major Bloom, where did that trade name come from? How did you dream that up? Mm, mm, man. So it actually originally started with Major Native. Um, mm-hmm. I am part Native American, uh, so I felt comfortable with, you know, kind of throwing Native out there from a sense of, like, understanding, like, like tribal and, you know, um, you know, again, the family and friends and, like, community-based. But then I also wanted to use a word that was more authoritarian or, you know, represent authority. So I felt like major was a great authority word. And then after discussing it with some of the team, we had put the, the, the native out and threw something that meant more like uh, flowering and life uh, as we can assimilate with obviously cannabis. What's the end goal? What do you, what do you kind of dream about? Hmm. Yeah. So end goal, not ending, just doing this for the rest of my life. I mean, honestly, it's, it's having a five-year goal, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, present day of like the assets that we have that we're not in full function yet we have a a beautiful kitchen that right now we're just producing a lot of payrolls but you know goal is to get an edible line up within the next you know uh, two months here um you know distribution is key for us i don't take the front i don't tend to be a grower so i definitely don't necessarily like envision us getting into cultivation anytime soon and really just being key on uh, uh distribution um, that means from both a business to business perspective and a business to consumer, you know, taking advantage of the home uh, delivery license that we have, getting our vehicles up and running probably within the next 30 to 45 days here. Um, so I think being able to scale that in other states is going to be huge. Um, you know, not being satisfied with transferring uh, or the last leg, you know, or delivery license in other states that kind of copycat what Massachusetts did and making it exclusive for delivery license to be equity businesses. I think that uh, hinders the supply chain, and I, I'm a big uh, believer and a preacher behind 
what it means to be vertically integrated and have production and have creativity on the side of equity businesses because it reduces disparities that exist in the market when you look at, you know, growers who have exclusive terms or producers who have exclusive terms. And it's like, all right, well, here's retail for equity businesses. Well, who are you going to get your supplies from? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So, so I, I think for me, being able to scale this equity mindset, scale this vertically integrated mindset to other states, but I think on another scale, too, is, is being able to um, kind of be an advocate um, and be, even if it's a quiet advocate behind closed doors, um, a, a person that can really uh, lend a equity lens to the uh, federal uh, legalization. Um, I think, uh, you know, any kind of finance that happens, uh, like the Safe Banking Act, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, you know, it's just tough to kind of like... Um, put myself in a perspective where I'm like, oh, I'm going to go down to Washington and, you know what I mean, fight for this safe thing. Yeah, because I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know politics like that, but I would love to learn more about it and kind of, um, you know, lend a perspective from someone, you know, again, who, who raised, you know, non-traditional funding to get this going and just kind of steer uh, the conversation in the right direction for those who have been harmed by prohibition. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of, you know, a represented, underrepresented. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. You you have two young boys or kids you mentioned. Do they do they know what you do? Are they involved in the in the business? Do they have any context on it? And that is a that is a uh, is a tough subject. Honestly, it's a tough subject because I spend a lot of time at the shop, probably like seventy hours. And and my boys they don't have the opportunity to to come here inside mm-hmm. these walls because of state regulations. And you know they've literally seen me build out this place, right? Like they've walked. Yeah through here with me when there was dirt on the ground and holes in the ground and no ceilings and no literally no walls you know what i mean so like they've been throughout the years throughout the process of going to the demolition and putting the framing up and getting uh you know local inspections done before we put up you know electrical and you know uh you know plumbing and all that stuff and then it got to a point where you know we brought cannabis in here and because they're under 21 you know, they can't um, get a good understanding of what's going on. So I try to explain, you know, my son's almost six and he's a smart kid and my son's three. So my three-year-old's like, he doesn't understand it. But my six-year-old, he's like, you know, he calls it grass. You know, I show him pictures, I show him my website, you know, I show him videos and stuff. So the context is really isn't there yet. Um, but, you know, speak about lobbying and trying to change things politically, you know, I... I I'm almost talking about it more than I'm actually doing it. And I, and I, I need to be on a perspective of how I can kind of um, push the char- conversation to change things. Because I think when regulators put things uh, in place, they're thinking about MOSs, right? Or, mm-hmm. You know, they're thinking about large corporations. They're not thinking about the guy who lives five minutes away, the local guy, you know what I mean? And what that means for the, for the family. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, I, I see, uh, you know, kids at liquor stores and kids at CVS, you know what I mean? Why can't they come? you know, be in in the building at least, maybe not in the inventory room on the retail floor, but we have back offices where, you know, cannabis isn't, you know what I mean? We have rooms where cannabis isn't. So um, it is a sore subject because I wish they can be here more. Um, yeah. But they're starting to understand, you know, dad's an entrepreneur uh, through and through. So that's kind of the story that I work a lot because it is my business. Like my son, he's like, dad, do you ever play? I'm like, dude, I play every i have a six and three-year-old as well and also an 18-month-old they're all they're all boys um 
Yo, so, congrats, bro. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, too many, too many boys in here. Uh, but I, I go through the same thing. Like, like, w- what kind of context do you provide working in this industry? Because I truly, I think everyone that that has a passion for this space uh, thinks it's a better path than than alcohol or drugs or anything else, right? And you know that your kids are going to seek out some kind of relief in the form of chemicals because they're humans. Um, so I want to educate them that way and completely normalize this, this industry. And we're still kind of up against it. Right. And how do you do that with such a young group of people? But I'm glad that you're focused on it, frankly, like, I'm glad that you think about it. I'm glad that you show them pictures because some people I feel work in this industry kind of hide it away. And that's not what we need. We need to be loud, louder about it. No, absolutely. You mentioned normal, man. Like I have a wine bottle. I'm sure you, you know, many people do that sits on top of a shelf that I'm that my two, my three-year-old can get to. And he can mm-hmm. pop the cork off of that easily, right? Mm-hmm. Easily. And if you start sprinkling that, we're causing harm. What would happen if they popped a nug that maybe saw on the floor? Right. You know, it's that we, we know science tells us it's not, nothing's going to happen. They're probably just going to poop it out. What are your, uh, what are your favorite products on the market right now? What do you buy personally? What do you have in the house? Man, I definitely buy our pre-roll, Major Bloom pre-rolls the most. <laughs> Hell yeah, you do. <laughs> you know, question, you know um, because, you know, for me, I, just, I love traditionally rolling, rolling weed. I mean, it started as blunt, uh, and then I got into papers, and then now I'm just really focused on the fine-tuning the process of making pre-rolls. So it's just like any other habit where you're trying to master that habit. So, um, you know, I, I love smoking our own in-house pre-rolls. I love giving them to people to get feedback. I love selling them to other retailers and getting feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely purchased them the most. I think after that, man, obviously traditional flower, bro, just taste, taste testing different flour. Um, I can't say I have a favorite uh, cultivator or a favorite strain. Now, I will say that, like, Purple Sunset has been a ridiculous strain that's been flying off our shelves more recently. Mm-hmm. We just broke down like five pounds of it and just sold a bunch of them to other retailers. Um, but I would say after that, so I'll probably, you know, again, going back to the process, I'm excited to make cereal bars. <laughs> oh, I feel like yeah. I'm popping those on a regular basis, man, um, just because the market hasn't really seen those on a traditional, uh, I'm sorry, on a, on a recreational level. Yeah. I haven't seen many dispensaries uh, have those, but I, I know a bunch of the homies around the way that make them in the kitchen. So I, I love to introduce like um, I love to introduce um, like more traditional uh, legacy products and mindset to the to the regulated mar- market. So cereal bars are right up that alley. The last one that comes to mind is vapes. I'm a big vape vape guy. Mm-hmm. I love pack pods. Um, but again, you know we're going to be producing our own vapes pretty soon. So I'm probably going to just be smoking the five cent toys that we produce here pretty soon so. <laughs> that's awesome man well i can't wait to try the cereal bars i'll uh i'll have to fly out grab one from you yo come through bro you guys have been a great partner man i love jane um and we're excited to, to actually launch this home delivery with you guys and yep. the jane roots project was fucking exciting you know what i love is you know us being the small equity local guy with limited resources and I start to see other people try to yeah. mimic what we're doing. So whether it be on the pre-roll production side, whether it be on the labeling side, and whether it be on, on our on the way that we present ourselves online, man. So I yeah. see so many players trying to do what we're doing online. I'm just like, ah, 
I know the origin, and good good luck trying to have it stayed. <laughs> right, right. You got $30 million. You can't do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ulysses, this was such a pleasure, man. And I know you're busy. I, I appreciate it so much. Um, thank you for joining. And I'll, I'll keep you posted on Yo. when this when this goes out to the world. But this was an absolute pleasure, dude. You know, likewise, man.